Look with me, please, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading this morning in verse 15. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, We thank you for the opportunity we have together in fellowship to edify one another in truth and in love. And Father, we ask this day that as we open the Word of God, we pray that each of us might have discernment from your Spirit, and Father, that we would understand the truth that is before us. We thank you for the Word of God, for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to us through the Word. We pray that we might have receptive hearts and eyes to see and ears to hear the truth, and a desire to learn more of Christ as He has been revealed. Illuminate our hearts and our minds to Your truth this day. Father, we know that there, of course, are many distractions, many burdens, those who are are concerned and grieving and maybe even sorrowful this morning, and we pray that You might cause us to rest and trust in the sufficiency of our Savior. We thank you for the Word of God. May we put aside all distractions these moments as we look to Him who is the author and finisher of faith. And may you be glorified in all that is accomplished by the working of your Spirit this day. Lord, we pray that the very words of our mouth and the very thoughts, meditation of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. As Christ is proclaimed, we cry out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Throughout our study of Paul's epistle to the Philippians thus far, we have observed Paul's expressed desire for the Philippian believers to recognize and follow after those things that are excellent, which of course sets the tone for the theme of this epistle. I know over the past several weeks, I continually remind you of this truth, and it's not simply for the sake of repetition alone, but it's that we need to understand the theme of this epistle as we progress and way through the epistle to understand the entirety of the context of what Paul is actually in this text. And so in Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11, as we know, Paul's epistles, you will find in the first chapter, usually in the first verses of the chapter, close near after the introduction, you will find that Paul usually states his thesis for the entirety of the book, the reason he's writing the book, the emphasis of the book, what he's declaring in this book. And Paul does so in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when we read this. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Judgment here means discernment. That ye may approve things that are excellent, Paul says, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The of Paul's statement, approve things that are excellent, as we have seen over the past several weeks, it means to regard something as genuine or worthy based on testing or based on it having been proven. And this theme, as I've mentioned to you many times, is most clearly seen, as Paul declares it in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we see Paul demonstrating it in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, yes, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, notice this, for the excellency 
of, and that means superior in value or to be of surpassing or exceptional value, so superiority, for the excellency or superiority of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And here Paul is saying that everything other than knowing Christ is inferior superiority of knowing Christ. And he's not again just saying this in a, in, a, in, in a foundational manner in the sense of at the moment of the new birth of salvation. For remember in chapter 3 and verse 10 of this same epistle, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul was already a believer. Paul was already an apostle. Paul was already a follower of Christ. And yet his cry is that I may know him. Paul here is saying, I count all things inferior to the superiority of knowing Jesus Christ, not just in salvation at the moment of the new birth, but in knowing all I can about him and who he is. And Paul is saying, I desire to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. In fact, you could say this, Paul is expressing that he has given his life over to knowing Jesus. That's all that matters. Everything else is refuse. Everything else is but garbage, he says. Everything else in comparison to knowing Jesus is absolutely inferior. After his introduction to the reader, Paul began this letter expressing his thankfulness for this Philippian church and their continued fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within verses 3 through 11, Paul explained that it is through the fellowship of the gospel that God is first providing unity in his church through the fellowship of the gospel. In verse 7, God is producing godly affection within his church through the fellowship of the gospel in verse 8. God is cultivating spiritual growth in his church through the fellowship of the gospel in verses 9 and 10. And God is producing spiritual fruit in his church through the fellowship of the gospel in verse 11. Paul then further explains the importance of the furtherance of the gospel. After having dealt with the fellowship of the gospel, he then explains the importance of the furtherance of the gospel in verse 12 when he says, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And the word furtherance here, it means progress. So he's saying, all that's happened unto me has been for the sole purpose that the gospel might progress. And last week we observed, or the last few weeks, we observed from the book of Acts, which is the gospel proclaimed, that in the face of every opposition, the gospel or God's word multiplied, grew, and prevailed. In Acts 6-7, the word of God says, and the word of God increased. And all this is in the face of, of difficulties that are happening surrounding the church in its, in its infant stages. Acts 8-4, they, were scattered, uh, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And Acts 19, 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Within this verse, here in verse 12, Paul explains it was not that despite all that happened to him that the gospel progressed, as we might would think or say. In other words, we'd say, well, even though all this has happened, despite that, the gospel still continues. No, expressing that here. Paul understood it's not despite my situation and circumstances that the gospel progressed. And remember, this is one of the four uh, uh, prison epistles. And so this is one, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are the four prison epistles. And this is one of those. So Paul is literally imprisoned at this time in which he writes this epistle. And he's saying, my bonds, literal bonds, I am actually in fetters. I'm actually in chains. And he says, he doesn't say, despite this, the gospel continues. No, he says, I am in chains so that the gospel might continue. He's saying, it's not that this is all, God's going to work through this to ultimately do. No, this is happening so that this is accomplished. 
And so Paul declares that in this verse. Notice he says, again, but I would, verse 12 of Philippians 1, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. This has happened for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. God has brought this into my life, brought me into this circumstance, imprisoned me, so that the gospel continues and progresses. Last week, we took a step back to answer two questions concerning Paul's further declarations in regards to the furtherance of the gospel. And and I'm just going to briefly mention these. We dealt the entire uh, time last week in answering these two questions much more in depth. But just to summarize that this morning, the first question we asked is, what is the gospel? And the second is, what is another gospel? Paul declared in his letter to the churches of Galatia, that if anyone preached a perversion of the gospel of Christ, which he proclaimed, let them be accursed in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. We won't take time to read that. But again, the issue was the Jews had come into the churches of Galatia and they were perverting the gospel of Christ. Listen, they were not preaching a different gospel because Paul even declares that. He says in Galatians 1, he says in chapter 1, verse 6 and then verse 7, he speaks about how he was astonished that they were so soon removed from him that called you into the gospel of Christ or the grace of God and the the gospel, of course. He says, and then that you've turned or removed yourself and, and now accepted or embraced another gospel. But then he says, which is not another. So he said another gospel, but it's not another. He says it's a perversion of the gospel of Christ. And remember, the reason he said the Judaizers were embracing Old Testament law, which was given by God, but it was all a shadow of the true, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so what they are doing is they are embracing Old Testament law and circumcision, which Paul explains that the circumcision was not that of the flesh, but it's of the heart, as it is fulfilled in the person of Christ and the Spirit of God dwelling within. So this is a perversion of God's truth, And they are saying, you can have Jesus, but you still need to be circumcised in order to truly be a follower of God. And so they were perverting the truth of the gospel. In other words, as we've said so many times, Jesus Christ is either all-sufficient or he's not sufficient at all. And the point is, they were saying, oh, Jesus is good, but you need circumcision. In other words, let me modernize that for you today. Jesus is fine, but you also need to go to church. Jesus is fine, but you also need to be involved in ministry. Jesus is fine, but you also need fellowship with these people. No, Jesus is all sufficient, period. And so all these other things fall in place and have their importance, but they're not in addition to Jesus. They are because of Jesus. And so we recognize that he is all sufficient and that we don't add to him. That's another gospel. And so we've seen in Uh, I pointed out last week the fact that many people often refer to the gospel as defined by Paul in Corinthians as though Paul's summarization of the gospel in Corinthians is the complete or full description or definition of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, and this is what people always go to, it says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that, number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, number two, and that he was buried, and number three, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, that is the gospel in a nutshell. That is the summarization of the gospel. But listen, you are really missing the truth of the gospel if you think in itself defines the entirety of the gospel. This is salvation. This is our salvation. But again, to put it in context, let me remind you, Paul explained in the third chapter of his letter to the Corinthians, the same epistle, that he could not feed the Corinthians with spiritual meat, but he had to feed them with milk as babes who were not able to spiritually digest the meat of the truth of the gospel. And so what happened was, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
uh, or chapter 2 or 1 or 2, when Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is not again saying, Oh, I only preach Jesus. We know Paul only preached Jesus. You can go to Ephesians and see Paul is only preaching Christ. But what Paul is saying is, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. And here's, here's the, the, the important part of what he's saying. And him crucified. Paul is saying, I'm not able to teach you anything other than the basics of the truth of the gospel. Not able to delve into the riches and depth of the truth of Christ and who he is and who God has made him to be on our behalf. As a matter of fact, you'll find, as I mentioned last week, and I've said this many times through our study of Corinthians and Ephesians, that if you compare 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3 with Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, you will see a dynamic difference between those who are spiritually immature and those who are spiritually mature. Paul is still preaching the same gospel to both the Corinthians and the Ephesians, but he can't get beyond, you're not going to hell, you've been saved, get over your carnal living and, and trust in the sufficiency of Jesus in Corinthians. Whereas in Ephesians, out the gate, he begins to deal with the truth of the depths of the riches of Christ and who he is. And even in Ephesians, Paul talks about the, the eternal purpose of God, which he purposed in Jesus Christ in chapter 3. And so Paul is explaining the truth and depths of the gospel. So here's what I'm saying. The word gospel, when we saw this last week, we know um, that it, it, it's taken, of course, from uh, what was originally God's spell, which means good, and of course the news, and now it's gospel as we understand it. And, and we understand that this is the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's my point to you and what I'm saying. The, nut, the gospel in a nutshell is 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. But I'm telling you, that is not all the good news there is about Jesus. That's the point. The good news of Christ extends far beyond that alone. For God has provided us an opportunity to know Him through His Son. He has made us His children, adopted us as Gentiles into His family. And so we understand that Christ is much deeper and richer than just he came, he died, he, he was buried, he rose again, and now I'm going to heaven. There's so much more to salvation than that. Again, I remind you, Hebrews, the writer says that we are leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. He's talking about the primary. And when he says primary, he's, not ta- he's talking about foundational in the sense of, again, death, burial, and resurrection. He says, let us, are leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. And perfection means maturity. He's saying there is more to this than just you're not going to perish. And you need to recognize that. And so Paul is teaching that again. We then ask the first of the two questions, what is the gospel? And to briefly summarize our conclusion last week regarding this question, within the first chapter, Paul refers to verse 5, fellowship in the gospel. In verse 7, defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, furtherance of the gospel. Verse 17, defense of the gospel. And verse 25, the first part of the verse, the gospel of Christ. And then verse 25, the latter part, the faith of the gospel. And I emphasize the definite article, the, or the, because in English grammar, of course, we understand there are three articles, a, an, not and, a, an, and then, of course, the article, the. A and an are indefinite articles, which means it could be a plethora of that of which you are speaking. But then the is a definite article, meaning it pertains to one specific thing. So when Paul says the defense of the gospel, 
Fellowship in the gospel, furtherance of the gospel, defense of, of the gospel, the gospel of Christ, the faith of the gospel. He's not talking about a gospel. He's not talking about a perversion of the gospel. This is one specific truth. Jude tells us that we are to earnestly contend for, for faith, for the faith, a specific belief, a specific thing that's been handed to us of God. And so we understand that this is specific. And Paul, in his, his epistle to the churches of Galatia, he stated, Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, the work of the gospel, obviously, just to summarize, is God calling us into the grace of Christ. And as I've explained, the whole of the gospel is much more than the summarization which Paul provided to the spiritually immature Corinthian believers. Paul could not get beyond these truths with them. He's saying, this is all you can stomach, so here's the truth of Christ. But then again, look at Ephesians. He's saying, oh, by the way, let us look into the depths of the riches of Christ and let us understand who he is. We then answer the second question, what is another gospel? Verses 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Notice, to, to separate yourself from the gospel or to look other, other to look anywhere other than the gospel is to turn from him who has called you into this grace. Paul didn't say, oh, you turn from the gospel into another gospel. He says you turn from him, removed from him who has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Then in verse 7, he clarifies, which is not another, as I've mentioned, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So what defines another gospel? Well, I think this verse summarizes it for us. Another gospel is anything that turns us away from him who has called us into the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not news about you and news of how you can better all this nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And anything that distracts you or detracts from him is a perversion of the true gospel. We must be looking to Christ. This is all about him. So another gospel is not necessarily a different belief system in, in all, but it can simply be a distortion of the truth of the gospel. The Judaizers were not telling the Galatians to not trust Jesus, but they were telling them they needed Jesus plus circumcision. Paul warned against any teaching that pointed away from Christ in Colossians 2.8 when he says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, meaning human understanding and wisdom in contrast to divine wisdom, and vain deceit, meaning empty and erroneous views, having the tradition of men, man's teaching and instruction, after the rudiments of the world, basic principles undermining the truth, and not after Christ. So anything that is causing you to look anywhere and follow after anything other than Christ, he says, beware of this. This is bad. <laughs> this is not truth. And I say all that to say this, and last week we spent our time overviewing these verses without digging into them, and I told you we'd come back to them, and I separated for a moment to overview for this reason, because people will make statements like this, and, well, at least Jesus is being preached, but here's the question, is he really being preached? Because a perversion of Christ is not the preaching of Christ, and Paul clarifies it in these verses that we are looking into this morning, verses 15 through 18 of Philippians 1. And while people will name drop Jesus, that does not mean they are proclaiming the truth of Jesus. And so we do not rejoice, and Paul is not saying, well, regardless of what's being said, at least Jesus is being preached. He never says that. 
He says, if Christ is preached, I rejoice, regardless of the motives behind them preaching Christ. He's not talking about an impure gospel. He's talking about an impure motive of those who proclaim a pure gospel. And Paul says, I rejoice in the purity of the gospel going forth, regardless of the motives that they, those who do such have. And that's important because if you read these verses without that distinction being understood, you'll begin to think and you will become less critical, and I'm talking critically thinking, concerning what the gospel truly is and what another gospel is. Listen, if someone is declaring anything that's causing anyone to look or trust in anything or anyone other than Jesus, I don't rejoice in that because that is a perversion of the gospel no matter how many times they say Jesus Christ. But I will rejoice, even if someone has impure motives, if they're proclaiming the centrality of Jesus Christ and the preeminence of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the motives, what difference does it make? Christ is proclaimed. So let us understand that's what Paul is saying here. Do not think he's saying, well, you you can't speak out against something or someone who's saying Jesus. Yes, you can. If it's an impure of gospel, then you should call that out. But if they are proclaiming Christ even of impure motives, rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Because that's what this is about. So this morning we will pick up where we left off in our study two weeks ago after providing that understanding last week that we just expressed. While continuing to consider the conclusions to which we arrived from our last study last week. Two weeks ago we ended our study in verse 14. Let's look at that verse again. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul, of course, is saying here that it was through his imprisonment and his persecution that the Lord emboldened others in the furtherance of the gospel. By the way, this looks totally contradictory to what we would think. We would think that people would see Paul in prison or hear of his imprisonment and go, well, if that's what happened to Paul, then I'm kind of scared to to go out and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Christ because if Paul's in prison, why, why wouldn't I be in prison too for the same thing? But look at what God's Spirit does. Rather than them shrinking in fear, they are emboldened in knowing that Paul is imprisoned. They're not rejoicing in that, but they're saying, Paul is suffering for the cause of Christ. And as Peter explains so expressly, that we are to rejoice. Blessed are those who suffer in the persecution of Christ. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, if we suffer for the cause of the gospel, if we suffer, if we suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ, then blessed are we, happy are we. And that again sounds contradictive, doesn't it? Because how could I be happy in suffering? Because it's the Spirit of God in me identifying it, me in Christ and Christ in me, and therefore there is great joy. Because there is a... But again, remember, the furtherance of the gospel is all hinged and built upon the fellowship in the gospel. Paul mentions that first in this epistle, don't forget. If there is a genuine fellowship in the gospel, as Scripture defines it, then the gospel will progress from that fellowship in the gospel, regardless of the situations. And we'll see that again unfold throughout the text. So within these verses, we understand that Paul is explaining he rejoiced in the furtherance of the gospel while also declaring his commitment to defend the gospel, as we read this morning, verses 15 through 18. Yet, as we also discovered last week, Paul's rejoicing, as I've said, was not in the furtherance of any gospel or perversions of the gospel, but he rejoiced in the preaching and proclaiming of Christ, the truth and the true gospel. 
regardless of the motives, as Paul further explains in these verses. Again, look at verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ. Notice, it doesn't say some preach about Christ or some preach a perversion of Christ. No, the same message Paul is talking about here is the message he preached. Some preach Christ in, out of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. So he's saying whether it, whether, and we'll get to this and, and, and dissect this in a moment, but he's saying regardless of the motive or the manner, it's the message that's important. Christ is preached. Not a perversion of Christ. He would not be rejoicing in that. No, Jesus is preached in his purity regardless of the impure motives of men. So Paul says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul uses this portion of the epistle to contrast the differences which exist between those who further the gospel with pure motives and those who further the gospel with impure motives. So let's look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. As I've already emphasized, it is important that we first recognize that Paul is not speaking of a different message. Do not allow that to creep into your minds. He's not speaking of those who preach a different Christ, but simply the motives of those who declared Christ. Paul has three different motives behind those who preach Christ in this verse. Notice them with me. First is envy. And the word envy here means jealousy or ill will towards another due to a presumed advantage. Then he said strife. This is conflict which exists due to rivalry. And then he says goodwill, which is a desire to please or to be pleasing to another. Having provided you with the definition of the terms used in this text, I believe it's necessary that I also explain the significance of these terms by expounding upon each of them as they are defined. So envy, first of all, Paul is saying that he explains that there are those who preach Christ out of jealousy, most likely towards him, because of their presumption that Paul had an advantage over This is envy. Then he says strife. Others preach Christ of strife, producing a conflict out of a sense of rivalry of which they felt a need to compete with Paul. And Paul's reception or his notoriety was obviously part of the motive for these individuals. And then the third is goodwill, a desire to be pleasing to God and prove a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in word, but also in deed. And so Paul here is explaining that there are those who preach Christ and they do it for the sole purpose that they are jealous of, of him. They, they think he, he has some advantage over them. Not as imprisonment, they're not jealous of that, but they're jealous over Paul as, a, as an individual here, and whether it be his notoriety or whatever. And out of this also, then they preach out of strife, which is a rivalry. Now it's about competition. Hear me, by the way, this still goes on today. There are those who are jealous of others and their quote-unquote success, especially as termed by the world, or there are those who feel like they're in competition with one another and rivalry. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And then he says, goodwill, a desire to be pleasing to God and prove a faithful minister of the gospel. Now verse 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Within this verse, Paul references again those who preach Christ out of envy and strife, which he mentioned in the previous verse, verse 15. These are obviously sinister motives that are anything but pure. As Paul explains in this verse, the motives of these, these, those he references in this verse 
have an underlying agenda to their preaching of the gospel. Rather than preaching Christ for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel, there is an agenda that's driving them. Paul states that these same ones preach Christ first out of contention, which means selfish ambition. Then second, not sincerely, which of course is insincere motives. And then third, to add affliction to his bonds, which is distress to his bonds. So let's look at these again, out of contention. Paul explains that those he is referring to preach Christ, yet they do so for selfish reasons. The message is clear, but the motive is to promote self and not the progress of the gospel. Our Wednesday evening study in 3 John, we've been going through 1st, 2nd, and now 3rd John, provides us an example in his short epistle of 3rd John, it provides us an, an example of an individual doing exactly of that which Paul speaks of in this passage. In 3 John verses 9 and 10, we read, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Receiveth who? He will not receive John, the beloved. He won't have John come in. He won't have John in his quote-unquote pulpit. And the reason is because he likes the preeminence. Now, could he be preaching Christ? Absolutely. But why is he doing it? Out of selfish motive. I want to promote me. This is not about propagating Christ in the gospel. This is about, look at me. And he loves to have the preeminence. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, Wherefore, if I come, I will, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us, which means he's speaking ill of them with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren. Now it's not only about John, he won't even receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. That sounds like a modern day Baptist dictator pastor. Diotrephes used his position within the church and in the name of Christ promoted himself rather than Christ and the gospel. Paul says, oh, there's those who preach Christ out of contention. That's exactly what John is explaining to us here about Diotrephes. He says, look, this man wants to have preeminence among the people. This is not about Christ. It's not about the gospel. It's not about the church being furthered uh, in the truth of Christ and, and the world uh, evangelizing them with the gospel of Christ. This has nothing to do with any of that. It's about me. But again, that goes on today where men are self-promoting. It's all about them and they have selfish motives. Look at me. Look at what I can do. I'm a success. Our church is, is this and that and the other. And it has nothing to do with Christ whatsoever. And if one even preaches Christ with these motives, thank God Jesus has declared, but woe unto him that does such. Then he says, not sincerely. Paul further explains these individuals were not sincere. This does not mean that they were not serious about what they were doing. Of course, Diotrephes was very serious about promoting self. He was very serious about preeminence. He was very intentional in this. He would forbade John and other brethren to come in because he didn't want them to have any platform to say anything or, or you know, to, to take the limelight off of him. Listen, I want the light to be on Christ. He is the light and our focus and our attention must remain on him at all times. So Paul isn't saying that they were not sincere in what they were doing. He's saying their motives were not pure and as they proclaim the gospel of Christ. The preaching of Christ, of course, is a serious matter and should always be done so in and with sincerity. 
mean, and pure motives, understanding the, the gravity of what we do. And we've been given stewardship of the gospel. Then he says to add affliction. The sufferings of Paul were all for the cause of Christ and the gospel's sake. Yet there were those who preached Christ with the sole intent. Imagine this. There were those who proclaimed the gospel with the sole purpose, the impure motive, the underlying agenda to cause Paul misery while he was imprisoned. Now this is important. I'm glad Paul mentions this here because I think it's a little more significant than you may first consider it to be. In 1 Timothy 2, 7-10, through 10, listen to what Paul says. Consider what I say. And the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. So he's saying, I suffer not doing evil, but they treat me as though I've done evil for the cause of Christ. But notice what his next statement is. But the word of God is not bound. So Paul is saying, I am imprisoned. I am limited. I am not able to do what I am passionate about doing in the capacity that I would enjoy and would love to do. I'm still, Paul was faithful to the gospel even in prison. But he's saying, this is not what I would choose for me. Nonetheless, in my bonds, in my limitations, in my restrictions, the gospel and the word of God is not bound at all. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So even though there were those who simply wanted to incite Paul to jealousy while they were free and he was imprisoned, Paul understood that Christ and his gospel not only was not hindered by his imprisonment, but was furthered by his bonds. Again, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So I'm imprisoned, I am bound, I am limited, but the gospel isn't. And while there are those who preach Christ with the sole intent, the message is pure, but the motive and the intention is to cause me, incite me to jealousy that they are out proclaiming Christ in freedom while I am in prison, he said, that doesn't matter. He said, I rejoice that Christ is preached. And this is why this is so significant. Paul is saying, regardless of the motive, even when the motive is set directly to hinder me, to distract me, to interrupt the work God has me doing even while in prison, when it's, the motive is simply that to attack me and to belittle me and to discourage me, he said, that is all irrelevant. Christ is proclaimed. And therein I rejoice. So Paul here is saying, even when the motives are against me personally, I rejoice if the purity of the gospel of Christ is proclaimed. And this man says this while he's sitting in his lazy boy watching TV mid-afternoon because he has nothing else to do as an apostle. No. He's imprisoned. And he is saying, look, I'm being attacked even while in prison I'm attacked. But if Christ is proclaimed, glory be to God, and I rejoice. Verse 17. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. These of which Paul refers to in this verse are the same ones Paul spoke of who preach Christ of goodwill in verse 15. The love of these ministers of the gospel included love for Christ, love for the gospel, and love for Paul as a fellow minister of the gospel. 
Such love is, is only produced by the fellowship or participation, which is what fellowship means, by the fellowship, participation, partnership, if you will, in the gospel ministry. This was not a superficial claim of love, but their ministry of the gospel was cultivated and flourished in and because of this love. The verb set, it means lie, set, place. And Paul is explaining that he had been placed in this very situation for the purpose of defending the gospel. The word defense is translated from the Greek word apologia, and we derive our word apologetics from the word apologia. And a simple definition of the term apologetics is the practice of defending the faith. And so what Paul is saying is, I am set. God has put me in the position I am in. He has imprisoned me in for the defending of the faith and the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was prepared. He was appointed by God to defend the faith. Again, I I refer back to when Ananias questioned the Lord's command to go seek after Paul after he'd been converted on the road to Damascus. The Lord said in Acts 9, 15, and 16 to Ananias, But the Lord saith unto him, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now notice verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, for my name's sake does not only mean Paul was going to suffer because of his declaration of Christ, but it was through the suffering he was appointed to that the declaration of Christ would progress and that it would be furthered. Paul knew he would suffer for Christ's sake in the gospel. How do we know that? Acts 20, 22, and 23. Here Paul is calling the elders of the church at Ephesus together, or the churches of Ephesus, and he is meeting with them for the last time before he will now see them again in this lifetime. And he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save, only this he's saying, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So Paul says, this is the only thing I know, that I am bound to the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who is leading me and directing me, and the only information I'm getting is this, Hey, in this next city, Paul, you're going to suffer for me. Hey, in this next city, Paul, you're going to suffer for me. And yet Paul willingly, rejoicingly, goes forward in the progress and furtherance of the gospel. It was because of his understanding of the sufferings of Christ that Paul was set for the defense of the gospel. God had appointed Paul to this purpose. And Paul was prepared and determined to do so in submission to the Lord. Now look at verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. So again, understand what Paul is saying before you even look into what he says specifically. Understand the general context here. I rejoice that the purity of Christ is declared. Not impure Christ, the purity of Christ, the purity of the gospel. Regardless of the motives, that's the only thing Paul is dealing with here another version of the gospel, not another version of Jesus, but the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of the reason it is done, I rejoice. The noun pretense, when he says, whether in pretense or in truth, it means pretext. And a pretext is a cloak hiding the true intent or reason for action. And so Paul is saying, if Christ is preached under a cloak which is hiding the true intention of 
the act of proclaiming the gospel, if Christ is preached, I rejoice nonetheless. Regardless of the motive, it does not matter. Hear me, please. The man does not matter how impure he may be. I'm not saying every man is qualified to pastor. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We know qualifications in the scriptures of those that are bishops, elders, so on. We get that. I'm saying we often look to a man at his significance or we look at a motive and its significance. And Paul is saying neither matter. It's the message that matters. And if Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. I rejoice. He doesn't say he's going to partake in what they're doing in terms of in, because of their motives and such, but he's saying regardless. Hear me, please. You must understand. It is not the men. It is not the manner. It is not the motive. What is all important is the message of Christ. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is all that matters. So Paul is saying that he rejoices not in the motives nor in the manner, but in the fact that Jesus is proclaimed. As we discovered last week, this is not Paul rejoicing in an impure, perverted gospel, but rather Paul rejoicing that the truth of Christ is preached when the truth of Christ is preached, regardless of the motive. So Paul rejoiced when Christ was proclaimed in truth, even when it was at his expense. In an epistle in which Paul emphasizes that which is excellent or that which is superior, Paul viewed the furtherance of the gospel as being superior to his own comfort and his own personal liberty. It is superior to know Christ. It is superior to proclaim Christ no matter what the cost. And this is the superiority. This is the excellency of the furtherance of the gospel.